Hey, it's Tobias here. If you want to learn a little bit about my firm or see my portfolio, head on over to acquirersfunds.com. Preparing to live stream. It is 10.30 a.m. on the West Coast, 1.30 p.m. on the East Coast. I tell you those times uh, so that if you want to watch this live, you can hop onto the YouTube channel click the links and subscribe, something like that. Here with Jake Taylor and Bill Brewster. I'm Tobias Carlisle. How are you, fellas? Good. Living the dream, feeling good. I mean, I think the world got a little interesting between our last, since we last got on here, huh? Yeah, indeed. Indeed it did, unfortunately. Interesting in the, the Chinese curse sense. Yeah, a few things have happened since then. We we got over ten thousand subscribers on the podcast. Hey yo, uh, we get a. Uh, How many bots are you paying? I don't know. Oh, <laughs> I don't know. I'm not paying any, but that doesn't mean there's none there. They're all Russian bots, so we'll find out when they're all disconnected here. <laughs> <laughs> and it turns out we had fifty listeners. Yeah. at the peak. You get uh, always thought it was 10, it was bigger than we thought, but never bigger, but not much. As, yeah, as you really right. thought <laughs> engagement was real poor. <laughs> Makes sense, production quality <laughs> that's right. Technical prowess ended up biting us in the tuchus. No one actually stayed around except for 50 people that probably should have better things to do with their lives. Thank you all for sticking with us. That <laughs> man doing limerick. Sounds like I'm starting a joke, but Papua New Guinea, Samson's in Papua New Guinea. <laughs> Whoa. Other side of the world. Sure is. Beautiful part of the world. Um, there's been some interesting things happening. I, I, I regret a little bit precipitously suggesting that you should be long Russian equities last week. That looks like that's got a whole lot more complicated than a little uh, premature accumulation there, perhaps. Yeah. Well, one of us called it right. What, what did you say? Too, too risky. No, I think I just said that I thought that the I thought the More index construction was shitty. I don't know that I thought that their entire uh, you know economy would be shut off from the world, but uh, I don't know, man. Sometimes I think people are like, "Yeah, it's priced in," and I guess <laughs> I've never seen anything priced in in my in my opinion. If the results disappoint, your stock's going down. I don't care if it's a ETF or a company specific stock. You. Thomas in London says his Gazprom holding was vaporized. I like that British spelling with that extra U in there. Yeah, there's been a little bit. Of, there are a few names I saw, I saw that uh, I, I don't want to try and pronounce it, but that uh, I'm not going to try. There are a few. There are a few cheap Russian names around <laughs> anyway, and getting cheaper evidently. Yeah, every every tick. Yeah, I mean, where's the what's what do the studies say about that, Toby? I mean, we have Bernstein's book on deep risk, which gives you some pretty good things to worry about as far as uh, confiscation of wealth. But I don't know what are the what would the value studies say about you know? Obviously, we're looking at if any numbers hold as far as fundamentals go. Russia's pretty cheap right now. What does it say about like taking donuts from that when you're you know, Dude, you they just got kicked off. out of Swift. They've got sanctions all over them. The if any numbers hold is sort of the uh, the big if, right? Well, of course, but also that's how you get like a one PE. 
I guess, dude. But people were saying Russia was cheap 70% ago. I mean, yes, uh, somebody will buy a ticket. They, uh, In yeah. the grand scheme of things. They were, it was relatively cheap. I'd say it's pretty historically cheap today, if, if numbers hold. Yeah, well, somebody should go buy it. Tell me how it feels. I think one, one of the interesting things, advice, by the way, <laughs> on the point that you make, Bill, like it's seventy percent. Like that's a that's that's a big absolute move in in the short term. But I sometimes think if you look, you know, many many times, very investments that perform really well over long periods of time, like five or ten years or, or longer, you can look at that. I've and I've noticed this lots of times. Like that you get that extreme volatility at the point of the. Um, you know, whatever the incident is, whatever the catalyst. And I wouldn't say that like 70% is well within the range of, of a move. That's like, it's all price right at this point. It's not, you haven't, having said that, I mean, that's not, I'm not advocating for, for a Russian investment. I'm just saying that, you know, I I wouldn't worry too much about like those kind of moves are just, that's just what happens when you're buying in. You sound like somebody that bought Peloton at 85. (laughs) Let me try to. Let I mean, me try that to is true, it. right? Like, it's just a different. Uh, yeah. It's just because it happened to be in the value bucket. We're like, well, seventy percent down is okay, but if it was in the growth bucket, I bet we'd be dunking on it. So, I don't know. You would, take a seventy percent drawdown, you were wrong. That's my view. Let me ask this: Would John Templeton today be buying Russian equities? Because he talks about absolute blood in the straight run, maximum pessimism. Hard to imagine a lot more pessimism from here. Yeah, I don't want it. I wouldn't even want to make money that way. <laughs> I wouldn't. I don't care. Uh, it's not. There are certain things that I don't want to do, and that's one of them. I think fair it's enough. fair. Like I, I don't hold any. I don't hold any international stuff at all. I only hold U.S. Uh, U.S. stuff and and ADRs that maybe through through those U.S. things. But I don't. I don't actually think I have any ADRs in there at the moment. Plus, what do you yeah, own? You, you end up owning it. Now you got a bunch of, you get a re-rating into a bunch of oil companies and financials. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> re-rating right. off of a 1X. I guess, man. I mean, we'll see. I'm sure it does well. Somebody else can uh, write their letter and raise <laughs> funds off it. <laughs> and that's, somebody makes a good point here, Gregory Neon. So John didn't invest in the USSR. That's that's that is one point worth mentioning that there are plenty of stock markets that they just have a hundred years of history missing because um, they mm. shut down and they didn't reopen. And I don't know how the you know I'm I'm with Buffett like you should be happy if the stock market closes tomorrow and hold it for five years in the interim, but but not a hundred. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's tough. That's a long time. I'm a patient man. Well, and what did he say? He <laughs> says you should buy something that you're okay if the stock market shuts down for five years, right? So. I'm not that sure that uh, look for stock markets that are going to shut down. I mean, look, Charlie's not buying Russia, right? He said he wouldn't invest. So, so that's a good question, though. Like, ostensibly, we could have a conversation about what's the difference if China were to invade Taiwan today. What would the, the potential upside in the like? economy? Russia's a shitty, like it's a shitty business economy. Yeah. It just like fundamentally is. China, you got Tencent, you got Alibaba, you got like, there's a lot of R&D, there's a lot of intellectual property, they're investing a lot in tech. Like, they're not just a commodity. I'm sorry to my Russian hacker friends out there that aren't on uh, 
you know, Putin's side on this, but uh, I just, I, I just, I don't see what the appeal of owning Russia as a country is. That's why I thought it traded cheap. I don't, I don't think it was particularly good value. I will agree with you that the, especially in the last, let's say, 10 years when we've kind of been in a bit of a commodity bust um, from just an insane 2000 to 2010 time period where commodities were just on fire. Um, But it's not impossible to imagine that commodities over the next 10 years are do reasonably okay. And if so, like ROEs on banks and oil companies and gas companies aren't, they won't look as bad as they did the last 10 years. Shitty businesses. <laughs> they to, are. Uh, what did Buffett start his letter with? Agree, but what did, what did Buffett start his letter with? Charlie and I are business pickers, not stock pickers. That's where I'm tending to morph. So I just I don't even care if it's that cheap. I, I don't want to own Russian banks and Russian oil companies. Just don't care. So that surely there's some price where you no. would be interested. No. So if, if I said you could have the entirety of Gazprom for one dollar, you would say no. I mean, sure, for a dollar, I'll okay. give you a dollar. Well, let's. So there's obviously somewhere we can work up to where there's a a bound. Then I just told you, man, I'm not interested. <laughs> like I don't want anything to do with it. You just wanted I, it for a dollar. Yeah, okay, a buck that is completely meaningless to me. You put any any amount of money that I actually care about. I, I have no desire to invest there. That's I, I don't want to own it. I don't care about a re-rating that I have to figure out the next time on the site, like the cycle to sell it. I don't, it's not the game I want to play anymore. To be fair, Buffett said the same thing because he said that he was, that they were having problems getting the money out of one of the investments there. They were fine letting them drill the holes, but they didn't want them to take the oil out or whatever it was. I forget the exact, and he said he was threatened with violence. So he decided not to, not to invest there anymore. Mm. But, you know, it is Templeton cheap. And I guess if you're on an index, maybe the index is the way to go, the index or something like that. Someone pitched that last week or the week before. I thought that was a pretty smart. That was a smart idea. It's a shitty way to live, man. <laughs> Which part? Like hunting, hunt, war profiteering? <laughs> yeah. And like, I don't, I mean, look, I don't, I don't know. I, I mean, it's interesting. We're, we're getting into politics and I, I just, I have no desire to root for Russia to win this particular conflict to get some re-rating into a bunch of businesses I think are shit. I just but don't the care. Index oh, is the, the, bad business. the re-rating would come from it a, is. A res- the sorry, index. sorry, sorry, not the index, the, the stock market, stock exchange, the index. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess the Russian stock exchange, fine. Go. I don't care. I don't begrudge anyone that wants to make money doing it. I'm just, don't write me about an idea that has anything to do with it. <laughs> I, I don't care. Would you, I mean, you'd be rooting for peace because that would be the re-rating event for you. Good point. Yeah, I guess that's one way to frame it. Peace profiteer. <laughs> that seems Put like that a whole a lot of motivated reasoning to me. <laughs> Put that on a t-shirt. All reasoning is motivated reasoning. Yeah. All right. What, what, do we have other topics today other than just uh, the world? A little less secure. I got a couple. Seemed. I got to get this dog a bone. This thing's eating my hand. Please excuse me for a second. I'm down to do Buffett's letter. Uh, what did I want to say? Why I won't own Callaway? There's a couple things I'm down to do. Okay. What, what you got, TC? Um, I, I've spent the last few weeks plugging away behind the Acquirer's multiple website. Um, I, I made a few changes to the screeners, which I just want to talk about a little bit. And then I've included these, uh, these bubble charts. That, yeah, I like your bubble charts. That I've been having a lot of fun playing around with. Just kind of, I 
don't know what it means. I don't know if it means anything, but they're just kind of interesting <laughs> charts. They're fun to look at, and I've been having fun. Uh, Programming. I've been having fun playing with them, so I'm going to talk about that a little bit. What you got, JT? You got any vegetables for us this week? Yeah, um, we're going to call this one "Where Do Returns Come From," and it's uh, taking some of Chris Bloomstrand's analysis out of his last letter that just came out, uh, what last week or recently, and um, we'll go through some of the numbers. It'll be a little bit numbers heavy, but I'll try to try to narrate along with the numbers so that uh, we can talk about where returns come from and what they might look like for the next 10 years. While we're waiting for Bill, why don't I just, I'll just, um, let me just talk a little bit about the site. So one of the things that, uh, one of the the ongoing questions that um, you always have as an investor is how concentrated you want to be in an industry or sector. And it's just the case that whatever is ailing any particular stock tends to be, I mean, often it's an industry that gets cheap. So you could like energy for the last few years has been just getting cheaper and cheaper until recently when it's, when it started taking off again. And what that means is that the screeners get heavy with, with individual industries. And there's also the, the, the problem that for the most part, it does tend towards, um, Cyclical. Yeah, cyclicals. Um, I don't. I don't necessarily hate that, I but um, but you can get a very heavy concentration, and then you know, as we know, with cyclicals, there can be no bottom for a long period of time, and the cycle seems to be quite long. I've looked at these. I run back tests for everything that I stick for every change that I make to everything. So what I what I have done in the screens is I've just limited the the number of names per industry to six on the basis that the seventh cheapest name in the industry is probably that in, not that interesting. And if there's about 80 in- industries, so that ends so up with about... Would it, that be on 3% even position sizing? So you end up with 18% kind of max sector exposure? Right. Okay. Or max industry exposure. I've, I've done it down to the industry level. So okay. there are about 480 industries, sorry, 480 names across across 80 industries roughly six names for industry. And so you get a little bit of a different distribution. And what, what that has, that's, and I've increased the, 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 the market cap cutoff in the large cap screen at 20 billion, um, just because I haven't moved it up for a long it's while. Inflation. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of, it's amazing. It's amazing how big everything's got. Um, and it's kind of an interesting distribution of names now in that top, in the large cap screen. And so Facebook actually makes an appearance in there, which is extraordinary because it's, um, it means that it's one of the cheapest sort of names in its industry, I guess, but it also is one of the cheaper names having made that cut that, that gets in there among a whole lot of other, like, um, you know, all the cigarettes are in there. Moderna popped in there, which I thought was funny. Like I, I, Moderna's t- absolutely terrifying to me as a, as a, as a position because it's, you know, it's clearly, it's had a pretty spotty record up until recent yeah. times with the vaccines. Could be a bit of a hula hoop. <laughs> And so I, uh, to create the bubble charts, you need a second axis. So I've got the acquirers multiple on one axis. And I just was trying to find something to stick on the other axis that was related to performance. So I, I put the uh, five-year average return on assets on there. It's kind of an interesting um, analysis that gives a little spread of these names. You can clearly see which are the better businesses and which, or which are the businesses that, that generate a little bit more return on assets than the other ones. And then I used... Um, these bubble charts are great. They give you a few other, you can have a color axis as well. So it, it means that it runs from, it's gray to green 
Um, I'd, I'd rather it run from red to green, but I can't figure out how to change that setting in the back. So it's gray to green at the moment. And I use the year high point. <laughs> so say it again. I said tech has never really been like your real high point. I think that you know, I could see how the gray to red would throw the entire idea off. I think to be fair, like I've got it a long, a long way for like a lawyer to have yeah. built this stuff yeah, out, yeah. get all this stuff talking together. You but know. like your your best, I, I think, like tinkering. Your best at like long form books and charts. That's fair. That's probably uh, fair. you know formatting and and tech. I don't know. You uh, know I, like I wouldn't say like that's the strength. I like to think I'm a little bit artistic, but the 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 uh, I, I use man. I like Greenwald's. I like Greenwald's growth metrics. I like Greenwald's way of valuing growth. So you know he he's got that idea of um, he looks at the yield, he looks at the reinvestment rate, he looks at the return on the reinvestment rate, looks at it incrementally, and then he sums it all together and that gives you this expected return figure, which is what I've done. So I, I've made my own modification to it because I'm not using free cash flow. I'm using uh, I'm using op- operating income and then playing around with a little bit. It, it 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 makes intuitive sense to me. Um, I might have to explain it a few different times. Find a way to explain so, it better. Toby adjusted earnings. <laughs> it, I I find it kind of interesting. Like it's quite a it's quite a useful little tool, uh, and it tests reasonably well too. So if you're looking for what, but it, it's interesting in the sense that what it has done, if you're just purely ranking on this expected return figure, it's quite good at picking stocks that do well in a growthy market. And um, so it's kind of like, it's, it's a growth screen. So I put that, I put that into the, into the screen. so you can, there's one on the front page, which is the, the large cap screen. If you go to the Aquarius multiple website, you can pull it up. You can, it takes a little while to load up, but then you can see that screen. And then if you, the paid screen is on our full depth on all investable, full depth on small and micro, and you can see the bubble chart distribution to see, where everything is in there. I think there are a few things that are interesting that stand out. Like to me, Facebook stands out. I've said this a few times that it's, as we discussed last week and the week before, like I'm not, I'm not, I don't know which of these two outcomes is the correct one. All I know is that the price is quite distinct from the, the last five years of, of operating history for that business. And either the business is going to collapse pretty precipitously here over the next few years. And that's entirely possible. That's not off the table at all, or the price is wrong. Yeah. If it can sort of continue on what it's doing, so I, I don't mind little bets like that. But can I set the uh, calendar reminder for 2032 to pull that growth screener off the shelf? And uh, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> next time you go to write your uh, worst value, value worst dead. opportunity set in 25 years or whatever it'll be by that stage, 35 yeah. years or 55 we'll years. That's of, it. Let me know because yeah, that, then we'll, we'll we'll switch to that one. But it's. It's um, it's still a value like that. That expected return is still a value approach to investment because it still requires fundamental. Yeah, it's still limited by like the rate of growth is limited by the ability of the firm to reinvest in itself. Um, and the the better the, the the better returns on assets and the higher rates of reinvestment will will generate higher higher expected returns. It's just that for whatever reason they tend to be quite mean reverting. They tend to not pan out the way that they, they um, present in the screen. Uh, that tends to be just too optimistic, I think, for the most part. But it's still, it's in, in periods of time where, where growth is running pretty hard, uh, it, it, it's pretty good at picking good names. 
And it's got some good names in there. Now you can go in there, you can rank. So I've added some additional things. That's one of the things I've included. I've included this expected return ranking thing in there and uh, an intrinsic value to price because this is the way that I think about it. If you if you're going to spend a dollar, how much sort of intrinsic value are you buying? Are you buying? You want to be buying more than a dollar for the most part. Although when I test it, I've found that you can, provided you're getting about 60 cents or more in these better names, you're going to be fine. You can sort of overpay for really good stuff. A little bit like that discussion we were having earlier about stocks falling 70%. You know, if you if for a really good business, you can tend to pay over the even even the growthy estimate of what they're worth, if they work, the payoff is so huge over a period of time that, yeah, in my experience, it seems to be it's okay. So, but but about sixty cents is pretty consistently. You don't want to pay too much more than that. If you if you're getting like sixty cents or more, and then, um, so you you want the you want high expected return without paying over the odds from those names in the screen that that delivers pretty pretty good performance but this this is the crazy thing the deep value screen is still the best one it's just very cyclical but the deep value screen continues to be i don't know how this is the case because it picks a whole lot of really scary stuff all the time but those re-ratings do seem to work anyway so go check out those screens let me know what you think i've had some fun playing with them in the background and um i've been doing it for about three weeks i think i've gone slightly insane doing it all but it was fun while i was doing it Welcome back. <laughs> I had to. I, I had to post them. I had to put it all up on the site because I was getting tired of. I was getting sick of it. So that was the. That was the uh, the point that I had to let it go. But I've been. I've been torturing my wife with it. She just doesn't oh, care. God. <laughs> like, like Poor any thing. great artist, just I can't stand <laughs> to look at it anymore. I'll just send it out. I think that's the way to go. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, it's fun. You guys want to? crank through some some uh where do returns come from yeah let's do let's do the bloom strand thing okay so you guys know bloom strands semper augustus letter is always a, a bit of a massive lift right it's 130 pages typically uh but towards the beginning of it he has a little section on basically like what has happened in the last 10 years if you imagined the S&P 500 as a, as a single conglomerate and looked at it as like one big business and, you know, where do returns really come from? Like, that's what we're going to sort of break down right now. And you could go back to sort of Benjamin Graham's time period and look at return on equity impacting changes in book value, and then a multiple of book value plus a dividend will give you basically like what your return could have been. Uh, but today we use more earnings-based things, so you have to do a little bit more. You can do a little bit more decomposition than 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 what Graham might have done. And so, really, you're looking at at the change in earnings per share, which we can then decompose into the change in the sales and the change in the share count, multiplied by the changes in the margins of the company times the multiple plus the dividend yield. So we have this sort of equation that that holds true and will tell you exactly where returns came from within a business. And it's the fundamentals, how they're changing, the multiple, which is the assessment, the sentiment about those earnings, and then a dividend yield, sum it all up and you sort of get what you could, what your, where your returns would co- came from and where they might come from in the future. So let's run through what the last 10 years look like. So this is from December 31st, 2011 to 
12-31-21. And so total over those 10 years, sales for the S&P 500 went up 34%. So that's a 3% annualized growth rate, which is basically GDP, right? Uh, the share count fell by 7% total. So that's that added in an annualized form about seven tenths of a percent to your return. Uh, margins expanded 46%. So that turned into a 4% return a- attribution. Uh, multiple expanded 81%. So you got 6.4% attribution return to the multiple change. 24 from dividend. And it sums up to a 16.6% annualized return for the S&P over the last 10 years. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty monster run, right? Like 16% annualized for 10 years is, is a lot. That's 363%. That's one of the higher returns, I think, in the data. You're coming off of a pretty low base. True. So let's look at uh, one way to kind of break this down a step further is for every $1 of return, what percentage of that return pie, where did it come from within these buckets? And so sales gave you 19 cents of every $1. Uh, the share count shrinking gave you four cents for every dollar. Margin expansion gave you 25 cents of a dollar. Multiple expansion gave you 40 cents of the dollar. So the penultimate then was margin expansion gave you 25 cents. And then multiple expansion gave you, can you just say this too again? Yeah. Margin was 25 cents. Multiple was 40 cents. Sales was 20 cents. Okay. Okay. And then dividend was 15 cents. Sum that all up, that becomes 16.6 total return for that time period. Now it's interesting. Let's look at what uh, 12, the same 10 year increment, but let's look at 1231.89 to 1231.99 and see what kind of rhyming we can see there. Okay, in this instance, uh, sales group 79%, which is a 6% annualized. So, like, so it's actually, twice like, the right run. Twice the rate of actual sales growth, shares actually increased by twenty percent over that time period. I, I assume just like a bunch of IPOs towards the end of that time. Uh, Is that and, a negative number then for that? So that's a that'd be negative two point three percent attribution uh, to your return from share count expansion. Margin expanded forty eight percent, giving you four point two percent attribution. It's about the same, right? So forty six in the other. One. Yep. So it's it's very close. Multiple expanded seven or 96% total. Basically, you doubled multiple, which gives you a 7.2% attribution, which is a little bit more than the 6.4 from this last decade. 3% dividend yield. Sum that all up, and you get 18.2% annualized for the 10 years of the 1990s. Um, and then we could do that quick, like, you know, cents on a dollar, 34 cents per dollar from, share, from sales increasing. Minus 12 cents because of share count actually expanding, 23 cents from margin expansion, 40 cents again from multiple, and then 16 cents from dividend. So it almost rhymes completely with that time period. Okay, now let's put the connection of the time period in between, which was 1231.99 to 1231.09. And the numbers don't change a ton by if you added two more years to get it to the 2011 time period so that you kind of like connected the full sequence. But in that instance, uh, by the way, I'm going to put the punchline at the beginning of this, which is that you had a negative 9.1 cumulative return over that 
10-year period, which is a basically minus 1% annualized. Okay. So how did you get there? Was it sales growth, uh, sales problems? No, sales grew 49%, which was a 4.8% attribution. So to the more plus than the side. last decade. More than the last decade. Share count uh, expanded a little bit over that time period. And this is probably just like dilution from money being raised in 2008 and nine. Um, so you had a, uh, basically like 6% share count growth over that time period. Margins contracted 22%, which shaved off 2.8% return for you. In uh, Multiple contracted 31%, which shaved off another 4.3%. And then you got your 2.1 dividend yield. So basically margins, like sales were fine and better than even the last 10 years. Margins came in and multiples came in enough to where you were, you had a lost decade. All right. I wonder what the relationship is of margins and, and multiples. I've never really, I don't think anybody's devolved it to that level before. I don't know. I haven't seen that either, but they would appear to be very high, at least in these. Yeah. In those three examples. Yeah, I would think so. So now let's, let's sum all this up and look at it from uh, 1999 to 2021, basically. So 22 years worth. You ended up with uh, 136% total sales growth. So that's a 4%. So basically like GDP plus a little bit. Uh, share counts basically flat. The margins expanded by... 67%, which gave you like 2.4% total like annualized return attribution. Multiple actually shrunk over that time period uh, by 17%. So that shaved off like basically 1% of your uh, attribution. Because the comp is 99, which is close the to comp the is highest we've ever seen. Right. Yeah. So, and the dividend gave you 2% again every year. So it what did- that's saying is we're 17% cheaper than we were in 1999. So or close to the very top in, in the, the biggest bubble ever. Right. Especially like multiple wise. Yes. Margins again are like pretty, quite a bit higher. Right. So, um, so all told that gets you to 7.5% total return over that 22 years, which is kind of what you would expect for equities, right? Like that's sort of a long run return. And you, it just goes to show you like beginning starting valuations, you know, changes in margin and, and multiple really drive a lot of what your shorter term experience is going to be like, shorter meaning 10-year period. But once you get long enough that you can kind of start to feel comfortable that um, enough of that stuff comes out in the wash and you basically will get sales growth and, you know, whatever share change and the dividend over the years. And that's that's probably where a lot of your returns will come. if If margins and multiples kind of get washed out over the, the time period. So margins are close to all time highs at the moment, right? Yes. So let's, let's look at, well, real quick, uh, Chris also breaks down what the, what Fang did over that 10 year period, the last 10 years. And it's kind of revealing. Um, <clears throat> so 12, 31, 11 to 12, 31, 22 or 21, sorry. Um, sales grew 17%. Uh, annualized. Annualized, yeah. Yeah. Share count. Uh, so it, it, let, I'm just going to give the, the return, the, re, the, have the contribution, the attribution of, of return for this. 18.3% attribution from sales growth from these five companies. 
uh, 2.6% per year in share count reduction, which was mostly, I think, Apple and, and probably Microsoft. Um, margins actually came down some. Like, say you lost a 1% to margins changes, which is kind of surprising. Like, I, I wouldn't have thought the their margins would be lower in 2021 than they were in 2011. Amazon but does a lot to that. Lower margins than they were in 2011? Yeah, dude. They just, they just continually reinvest. Like, they're not playing a margin game. So I think that as they grow their sales, the blended average might come down. Fair enough. That's a good observation. I like that. Um, multiple expansion, you got 9.4% per year in that. And then a dividend, which basically is nothing, like half a percent, totaling you to 29.8% <laughs> annualized over that 10-year period. So it's just monster. Uh, got to revert it to the mean. You're only going to make 17 going forward. <laughs> well, let's talk about going forward. Like, What would the next 10 years look like? Because you have to get comfortable with all of these numbers if you're going to make a projection as to what, what your next 10-year might look like. So I think it's, let's say sales and, you know, we can have conversations about like debt levels, maybe. Is this FANG or is this the index? No, no, let's just go back to the index. index. Yeah. Let's say you're a, you know, an indexer that owns the S&P 500. What is it? What do you think the next 10 years is going to look like for you? Well, the last 10, they grew, it grew at 3%, which is basically GDP. I'd have a hard time getting much above that number. I don't know about you guys. Um, Share count, I mean, maybe reducing 1%, maybe uh, annualized. But even then, like we did a quite, we added a lot of debt in the last 10 years to do that LBO. So I'm not sure you could pull that lever again. I don't know. How do you guys think about that? Fang is a big part of that index, and Fang probably does start buying back some stock here. Like that's been Amazon's got a buyback, Facebook's got a buyback, Google's got a buyback going on, I think. Yes. Um, Netflix probably not. Who else is in there? Apple does on occasion. Probably there's across that. That's like twenty five percent of the start index. buying shares. So. It may not be a lot, but they're going to start. They they have they have done it on and off, that pretty substantially and in the past. Now I just they're don't know actually, where they've got one going on now. Well, I I I believe, uh, and this is from memory, but I believe that they have one authorized. And as they get free cash flow positive, they said that they're going to start to okay. return capital through buybacks. So I would say you probably rely on buybacks from Fang getting you to one percent. That's probably fair. Okay. Across the full index. How about uh, margins today at thirteen point four percent? An absolutely blistering number compared to the data I mean, set. I don't even know where the long run margins are these days. It used to be 6.1 was like, that was about, I think that was about the mean for a long time. Yeah. But it's gone nowhere near that for the last 15 years, 12, probably, probably not 15, probably like 12 or 13. It's just been expanding over that full period of time. Yeah. I don't know. Is that a better, better business, better composition, better fang being better businesses? Well, gross profit definitely is going to get better over time. So then the question is, can they manage GNA? I think. Well, that's an interesting question because I think that what they have been doing in the past is compensating people with, you know, SBC. options. But, you know, as Facebook, we've seen with Facebook, like Facebook's had, because Facebook's stock is now smashed, they've increased their starting pay from it was like 160 to 350. And I think yeah. I saw somebody else had done something similar to that. They'd increased their associates' pay pretty Amazon. substantially. Amazon. Yeah. That sounds right. 
<laughs> so it's something like I don't know what the at, at any point does that start to impact your margins? Do all these commodity costs ever impact the margins? Does higher energy prices ever impact margins? Like there's inflation yeah. will show up somewhere eventually, right? Yeah, and like a bunch of small cap companies that are old world businesses. I don't I don't think tech I mean, this is famous. No, we're doing SP, and, SP 500. Look, let's separate Yeah, but as, as tech increases as a percentage of the S&P, like I just, I think tech's been fighting inflation for a long time. It's just been salary inflation. Like, it's not like the price of engineers have gone down no, anytime no. in the last 10 years. No. And, and look, man, there's a, there's a chance. I, I don't know. Like, this is way too hard for me and my pea brain to figure out, but there's a chance that like work from home actually really does uh, decrease the amount that you have to pay people. Cause it may not be like work from home in the U S and maybe all of a sudden you can outsource a lot of this labor to really low cost countries. That's definitely going on in scale at the moment. That's been going on though for, you know, I mean, really, it's a lot different now. If you 1980s. listen to, I mean, I know that people are going to laugh at this, but if you listen to uh, Zuckerberg's metaverse conversation, uh, he had something that came out not too long ago. And like a lot of what he was talking about is like putting an Oculus on and coding with people. Like, I just, I don't know, man, we might, I, I don't know. The labor outsourcing may continue for a very long time. I think that's definitely the case. Okay. So, we, we can get into this a little bit uh, and back into some numbers. Multiple today, 23.6 price to earnings. Uh, and then dividend giving you a 2% yield. So What's let's, the long run average? Is it like 16 or 17? It's probably yeah, around 15. Well, it's probably yeah, 16-ish these days. Um, I, I know that CAPE is that kind of number, but I just don't know how CAPE... I, I, I don't know why CAPE and the single year multiple would be different. But I, Yeah, I don't think it would be, right? Because it's all it's a summation of all of those would form yeah summation of cape uh yeah. so to get to even like a 10 percent kind of per annum return with three percent sales and a two percent of dividend yield which is kind of like we could sort of maybe take those roughly to the bank right we need to get another five percent from somewhere out of margin and multiple so uh let's assume we needed to get two and a half percent out of each one of those, that would mean margins would have to go to 17% and the PE would have to be north of 30 for us to get that other 5% return over the, or- Here's the thing. If margins do go to 17%, there's probably a reasonable argument to be made that the PE should be like sure. at 30. Right. If, I, you if you hold margins at 13% in this little scenario and you need a PE of like 40 at that point to get your 10% return. We probably get the PE. Well, who you've says got. you're entitled to 10%? Well, he's just, like, he's just doing a thought exercise. Yeah, I know. Like, but like, there? look at the world, right? What's your alternative? I would say, uh, well, what percentage of, of financial planners have in their calculation something between six and 10% for all of their clients' equity yeah, returns well, over idiots. the next 10 years. Okay, but this is like what people are expecting. This is what well, they're they being shouldn't. told they're going to get. They should not. Well, As Charlie says, lower your expectations. I, listen, I agree 100%. I'm, just trying, I'm trying to give you the numbers to explain why you should lower your expectations. What, what, what do you think? Well, let's, what, can you do the exercise with like what you actually think? So just do those figures with what you actually think is likely to happen and then see if we yeah, can give like... us a forecast. Give us your 10 year. Yeah. yeah. This is dicey. Uh, 
I'm gonna. Say, I'm gonna. I'm gonna say my range of Jake's expected outcomes are negative four to negative six percent for a six-year period. Give me. So it was, let's just write down the numbers. It was three percent GDP, which is sales, which I think is fair. I fair will, to bullish. I yeah. I will take the under on three percent. But let's say three because. Okay. Uh, I'll keep the dividend yield at two percent. So I need to find what do we get from there. That's five shares. So I think shares. I actually shares at one. I'm going to say flat because I think we're, I think it's likely that some companies are going to have to issue equity over the next. Flat's probably fair. 10 years. Some will buy back, but in, I think there'll be enough that got over their skis with too much debt and are going to have to cram down their existing equity holders because they borrowed too much money. And yeah, that's because you don't accept that we're going to inflate our way out of a debt problem. <laughs> Well, all right. You're introducing if, other If you risk do inflate your way out of the debt problem, doesn't it then impact your margins? Doesn't uh, that show up somewhere else? Like it's not a free yeah, lunch. Yeah, you, I, I, yeah. I, look, I don't know what the answer is financially. I think it shows up in the political system. I, I'm very, very, very concerned about political risk. Yes, I agree with I'm that. I'm less concerned. I, I'm less certain on how it manifests itself financially. I would fade margins to 10% because of all the things we just said with inflation, with not everyone's able to pass on these costs forever. Um, and somebody's going to have to get squeezed eventually here. Uh, multiple employees. Would, well, maybe. Not I so far. I guess it depends on how many robots we get built. But uh, multiple, I mean, I have to fade the multiple to something more like 17, which gives you flat, I think, roughly. So you lose half a point per year to the multiple and you lose how much to the margin going from is it 13 and a half to, to 10 over 10 years it doesn't quite work exactly like okay. percentages because it's a multiplicative series you have to do a right. little bit more math than that but let's just say that when you add all together i would say flat is so my flat case. on the index for a decade yeah that'd be my i, I think i think you're an optimist <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I, I think that flat would be a good outcome. Probably a likely outcome. There's always some good stuff that happens through there too. Yeah, of course. But we've yeah, seen that before. I mean, that's what happened 2000, 2000, even like 2015. That was a long, that was a long haul before it got back up over its prior peak. But this peak, I don't think, has been quite as peaky. And maybe they're a better mix of businesses than they were in the, the very peak in 2000. Yeah, I believe that. All right. But, well, but it'll be good. Like, note, what else? <laughs> put, put 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 a mark in your calendar for ten or fifteen years. You'd be able to pick up some absolute. You'd be able to pick up Microsoft where it is. I don't know, but like that's that's what happened last time. It'll be Shopify at that point. And uh, shops interesting at some point. Not not this price, but at some point. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just looking at the index construction. I know the Tesla bulls are going to hate this, but that's that's a big risk to me. You got <laughs> yeah. Tesla at number to the six. upside. Yeah, well, obviously, obviously. Oh, man. A lot of people write me for my pod and they're like, you got to have a Tesla bull on. I'm not opposed. I'm just saying that one's tough for me to buy. I know Whatever. somebody who would be good to talk to if you want to actually talk about that. Well, it'd probably be a decent perspective coming out of my brain because it's not something that normally comes out. You got Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Alphabet, Tesla, NVIDIA, Berkshire, Meta, United Health. Uh, JP Morgan, Johnson and Johnson. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I have, I have no opinions worth sharing. 
go to cash. <laughs> uh, that doesn't have to be the answer, but also just tamp those expectations down a little bit. There's just too much money out there, man. Like, like returns are the price of money. I, do, I don't understand why with this much money there should be return. I, it's just something that I've never actually understood. Like, I just don't fundamentally get it. What, what do you, in the sense that the returns have been very good and the, um, so are you saying well, it's just there's divide so every many single, dollars, like divide every single one of these numbers by the Bitcoin price? Is that the, <laughs> have we back? Yeah. It? Yeah. I, I mean, not, not quite, but I, I do kind you of mean wonder. like inf- if you, if you print a whole lot of money, if you inflate, then you get on a, uh, on a real basis, you could be flat, but on a nominal basis, you could have a really good decade. Yeah, it's just that your purchasing power is the same. Like you, you still buy the same number of hamburgers, and but you know who wins? Everybody that levered up. That's a good point. Levered up and 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 survived. That's a good point. Yeah, but I mean, dude, you know, at the end of the day, if if inflation really is seven percent a year, like I know for a fact, the bondholders are going to get paid a hundred cents on their agreement, but that hundred cents is not going to be worth a hundred cents. I mean, so, this is the 1970s so they better hope that everybody all over again, though. You get in order real returns real that return. were like the the inflation masked huge losses of purchasing power in the in your marketplace, right? Like returns looked kind of flat, but you actually were like way behind. Well, on a real basis, 74, 73, 74 was worse than twenty nine. Yeah, because of that. Uh, stagflation, and and I think we've got. I mean, we're, we we've aren't we in stagflation now? I don't know how long the inflation's. I, you guys, when I finally admit that inflation's a systemic problem, then you'll know it's uh it's over. It's about to recover. <laughs> so yeah. you you don't. I mean, you don't think that. I mean, I, I don't. I don't. I don't really know. I don't. I don't. I don't. Kind of I don't have it. a strong view. Uh, Michael Green said something to me once, and uh, I think it makes some sense. He said, if you open the doors to a concert and everybody's running through the concert doors at the same time and, and they're all jammed in, do you have a capacity problem or do you have like a opening the floodgates problem? And I thought that that was a good metaphor for what I actually think is going on. Now, that said, like you start building a lot of redundancy in the system and, you know, I mean, you take a bunch of you sanction Russia or whatever, like. I, I I don't deny that it, for a little while it could be bad, but I just long term, I just don't know that I really buy inflation outside of things that are artificially constrained or the government's involved in. You know what else hurts profit margins? Adding a bunch of working capital because your your supply chains were so screwed up that you have yeah. to like redundancy, you know, yeah, that's stronger. Certainly possible. It's hard, right? Because the long-term trend of business has been to get more efficient. You know, that, that idea that commodities are short human in- ingenuity, I think that's a great line. And like that has been true over very long cycles, over very long periods of time. Although we do have to do increasingly like heroic, heroic stuff to get oil out of the ground. You know, we know that offshore drilling is just, that's scary stuff what we're doing out there. But at some point, we're going to come up with a better energy source. Like we've just got to build a whole lot of nuclear reactors right at some point. Nuclear reactors, all the cars are electric. I don't know what what, what happens beyond that. That sort of gets you off a lot of those problems. How but- much? How much does it cost to do that? 
build all that stuff. Mate, I'm the idea guy. You, someone yeah. else has got to go and implement that stuff. I've just had the idea. My job here is done. I'm a futurist visionary. Oh, my God. How hard could it be? Get an engineer to figure that stuff out. Yeah, that's Can't a good point. That's for the bean that's counters. That's a good point. <laughs> I like that. How hard could can... it be? <laughs> just get it hard. done. Look, look, how many, look how many electric vehicles there are out there. There's, there's, everybody's, put the, everybody's putting their hand up to make electric vehicles and getting massive multiples on it as well. Yeah. I mean, don't worry about the fact that we're actually capacity constrained for how much we can mine to get the batteries and whatnot. And don't mind it's the, fact the future. That, We've solved that problem. It'll be something else. Don't mind the fact that the mines are full of acid and whatnot. It's, it's nothing. You guys are, you, you're too limited. You're thinking in, in, in today's technology, you got to think about the technology we'll have in like 12 months time. It'll be amazing. Build the robots that will build the robots. I like that. The yeah. I mean, look, my real fear, my real fear is like we figure out a way to replace more and more and more humans and like margins go. I mean, some tech guy said, like, eventually we're going to end up like a bunch of people that own everything and a few people that rent everything. Like, I do not want that world. I don't think that's a good world. Do you mean the Uh, other way around that a few people own everything and the rest of us are all renting? Yeah, that's yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Karl Marx, um, his idea for the socialist utopia was that robots would do all the work. Like that's a great idea. Let's and, and we get all the leisure time. Let's let's do that. Yeah. What, where, where's the problem with that? That sounds perfect to me. Yeah. Well, I'm just not sure that it's so perfect in reality. <laughs> Twenty hour work week for everyone. That would be hours. sweet. I'm on. I'm a four hour work week guy. I got the. Okay, we'll get you down to that. The Tim Tim Cast. Yeah, the Tim Ferriss thing. Right? Tim Ferriss. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. That is an appealing concept. You you don't start work until mid afternoon, and then you do like half an hour, and then you don't take. Dude, off. I'll tell you what's crazy. I don't even do anything, and I look at my calendar, and I'm like, how the fuck does Buffett keep his calendar empty? My calendar is always got something on it. It sucks. He's good at saying no. He's got a he's got a secretary who says he's t- he's he's free if you're here, and otherwise he's not booking his calendar. He yeah. he might be free if you're here. That's fair. I was just I was looking that's all, the other that's, day. That's, I'm that's like, what, this that's is what the not fuck you money calendar. gets. That's the only thing you want with the fuck you money. I'm it's guessing just a it, it's a lot calendar. of your kid stuff ends up on there, and I guess I'm pretty sure his calendar didn't get too impacted by that. <laughs> mm. Yeah, pick up your kids from school. That's in my that calendar. That is a good a lot. point. Yes. Yeah nourish them emotionally i have to write that down otherwise do you want to I do <laughs> <laughs> yeah man i so okay so real quick like i was thinking about callaway we're doing free we're doing leisure time right so callaway's callaway's going to be a boom boom oh, stock when the socialist yeah. utopia when it's all hits. robots doing the real work we're all can just golf all day yeah well i, I I'm, I'm gonna rip through this one and then i i'd rather talk to you guys about Buffett and, and repurchases. But I, I just was like, you know, I, I just got a new driver and a new three wood. They're crazy expensive, but they are pretty freaking good. And I resisted. I mean, I played with my old driver for like 11 years. So I am not this new golf club type guy. Um, and I was thinking to myself, I was like, wow, Callaway might have a real upgrade cycle. You've got people that can move to the Sun Belt a little bit more. You've got to step up in demand. They own Top Golf, which I actually think is like a pretty good product and a good distribution system for Callaway Golf Clubs. And they own this Travis Matthew brand. But then I was like, I just don't know. It would have to be so cheap because what's your reinvestment runway at the end of your holding period? Like, I just don't think that they really 
have a long runway. Cause at the end of the day, I do think golf is kind of in secular decline, even if it gets sort of a bump, a step up from this. Do uh, young so people just, like golf relative to their parents? I can't say. I don't. Is think golf that. in secular decline? I mean, I don't. I don't. I don't know. Yeah, but... it takes too long. It is. Yeah. yeah, our attention spans are not golf. It's not like a. It's not like a horse racing. Horse racing is dead. I think it's because you have to wait between every race. Like nobody wants to do that. Robot horses. <laughs> I acknowledge it's different, but I think it suffers from similar trends. Uh, anyway, I don't know. I just, I got to the point. It's like, I get to with Russia. It's like, I don't really, it would have to be like screamingly, screamingly cheap. I remember, uh, except I wouldn't mind making cheap. money on back, what uh, it was a net net back in the day. That a was few of those golf names got, got net net cheap. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't even know if I'd want it then. I don't know. I think it would take a lot because because here's here's what I was. It's a nice brand. Like if you're not paying for the brand, if you're just paying for the working capital, that's all right. Yeah. But when was it a net net? Uh, like 2015 years, something like that. Yeah. So what's the opportunity cost of buying a net net in that environment? Yeah, but you okay with it? Walk around with your Callaway Golf shirt on and evangelize people. Google. Well, of course. And then you would be retired and playing golf. I know. Then you would have what I, I mean that's but that I think that's my point like when I think about the environment that net nets pop up in it's not like everything else is trading at super huge valuations and all of a sudden the world is flooded with net nets it's like net nets appear when everything is like dusted true so true. are they really the thing to buy in that scenario I don't know it probably makes sense for a, a portion of your holdings I don't want to I mean the returns are good but there are a lot of work is the thing you got to turn them over there's a there's a there's a lot of tax in them too probably yeah i don't know I just better don't after you adjust for those things i think maybe in the world that buffett grew up in they were a better better thing than they are today maybe not my brother wanted to do some investing and i said to him and he was like you've been talking about net nets like tell me how to do net nets and i was like that's don't do net nets it's too much it's too much work just go and buy something good that you can buy once and don't have to worry about for the if you're not going to do this full time, you know, you need to spend as little time as you can. Like I, I think that Peter Lynch approach is the way to do it. Like find something that you like, go and see if it's reasonably valued and make sure it's going to survive. So when you come back in five years time and you've forgotten about it, it's still there. Hopefully it's up. So uh, I don't disagree, but moving to a more interesting conversation, I think, why do you think Buffett, is so okay with Apple repurchasing shares here, but he's not willing to commit Berkshire's capital. Do you think he's okay with it? Or do you think he's, he's in that sort of... He cheers Tim Cook on, talks about how Berkshire's percentage has grown and we didn't even have to lay out a dollar. I fucking hate this part of the letter. Every time I read it, I'm like, this is so intellectually dishonest. Uh, he tries no. to be a supporter. Well... Uh, He's, he's always done it. Yeah. He, like even when Coke was doing it back in the day, he's like, yeah, we're happy to own more. Like keep going. Who cares? He, if knows, the the, he knows the base rates of what CEOs typical cap allocation looks like. And almost better than buying another company. Is that what you say? Better than, better than them than... going, starting buying a movie franchise like <laughs> Coke did or buying magic beans or <laughs> yeah. M and a that's ill-conceived, uh, you know, I mean, just, get it out of their hands, I think is often probably what he's imagining. So you think he thinks exceptional manager, 
exceptional business. Where else are they going to put the money for Apple? I just you could do it, it out. Is that where he wants it? Well, you could actually pay cash. A like, car? That's, that's possible. Apple car? No, well, you could pay cash. On a 2% margin car? <laughs> I, again, I think you could pay like cash money dividends. Yeah, well, you could make a very strong argument that at, at Apple's price today, that a dividend is probably the, the smarter play, but. Like if I was him, I'd be on the phone. I'd be like, dude, just issue like special dividends. I'll make the decision to buy the stock or not. Can you can you can you pay out capital and have it get a different treatment to a dividend? Is that what a is that what a special like can you engineer something like that? Well, corporations have different tax rates when they receive dividends. The the shareholder base doesn't, right? But like, I don't know, do half. I I don't know. It's just it's weird. It's weird to me. That he says that and he says like, and we didn't even have to put any capital out. Like, yeah, but there's an opportunity cost to that capital. Dude, maybe he was just using last year's letter and he was like, oh, I don't feel like writing a whole, writing this again. That's close enough. I know it's 35 times true. earnings, but uh, we'll just run this back. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think I do. I, yeah. I don't know. It's interesting. He's always, I mean, if you listen to the questions when Coke was crazy in the nineties, he had no problem with them buying in shares. Maybe it is because he just doesn't want them doing something stupid. That would make some sense. He's seen a lot of stupid capital allocation decisions in his 70 years of doing yeah, this. Probably least, least stupid is least objectionable capital allocation process is probably he's just like, uh, at least it's not a big acquisition. At least they're not buying you know, Tesla. They're not buying years. NVIDIA. Yeah. It's weird for him to cheer it on. I don't know. He yeah. just wants it to continue. Um, two, I got two little, two little points. One of them is that Fear and greed. I know we talk about this all the time. It's complete voodoo. It's total bullshit. I acknowledge that. I don't use it at all. I just, I, I just like have fun watching this thing. Where's it at now? Well, I, I think someone just put it. Someone earlier on somewhere. I missed your name when it came through, but someone said it was at eighteen. So that's typically um, that's low, right? That's buying territory from what I have seen running it back. The problem with the fear and greed index is it started after the two thousand seven to two thousand eight smash up. So I, it's I don't know how it, should be called like by the dip is what it should be called. <laughs> It's been a pretty good short-term indicator, even though it's total nonsense of like, I think if you're thinking about buying something and uh, the market is, is at the other end of the index, maybe you just wait a little bit on the chance that you get a better price for it. Mm. But if something uh, that you really want and fear and greed's like sub 20, then probably that's a pretty good just time to go it. and pick it up and i certainly as i was putting together the charts for the site you know i was building out all the back end for the site with these with the spreadsheets and i was watching the bubbles move as i was as i was building it out and i was watching google slip down it well and truly into buying territory and and then bounce pretty heavily as i was sort of putting all those charts together so it was and it was at, at the time that we were discussing fear and greed last time so it, i i I don't really know why it works, and it's um, it's total voodoo. But it did it did slip below twenty last week. It's below twenty again today. So if you're thinking about buying something now, it's probably not a bad time. The other tweet that I shot out last week. Just so don't I, expect to make any money for ten years. <laughs> we talk about every you buy every dip, and it just rockets back. We've that's what we've learned. That has been decade. the case. But I'm 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 just saying buy buy something buy something cheap buy something good. I, um, I have this itch to buy Elasticsearch, but I know I don't know it well enough, but I kind of want to buy it. What are you trying it. to buy? And that's Elastic. called Elasticsearch. 
I don't know. Well, it's Elastic is the company, but they do Elastic Search. They power like, so if you think about the world, like there's a lot of search that goes on that's not Google. So when you search on Uber for a car, like that's a search function. They they run the back end. It's uh, open source though, which has its own problems. And Amazon forked it, but I don't know. Apparently Amazon's product's not very good for the people that actually care about stuff like that. Uh, but just I don't know what to do because I, I don't know the fucking business as well as I need no. to. So part of me just wants to have like a support line. And if it breaks it, be like, all right, I'm out. <laughs> David Gardner opening position, break support. I'm out. Traded that shit. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 only, the only other thing I wanted to mention, just because we're, we're going to run out of time here, but um, I, watch the, I watch the Google search terms for NFTs every week yeah. just to sort of see where it is. And it's fallen off a cliff, which... Uh, like I, I have this thesis that in order for NFTs to kind of continue to work, you need a whole lot of people coming in the front end, and it seems like, uh, like fewer people like are the, searching. The it. bottom of a pyramid is that kind of what you're <laughs> talking about? Okay, sorry. Go ahead. I, I know that some of us, uh, some of us are pro NFTs, so I'm not trying to be too rude about it. But I just, I just, um, I just thought it was funny. I just uh, do it like completely speculatively. Uh, I think NFTs are over, so that's my. That's this will be like one of those Paul Krugman thing about the internet being dead in ten years time. I'm saying that I think NFTs are definitely not over. But uh, JPEGs says like twenty two million dollar JPEGs is over. Maybe I don't know, man. Uh, but I'll tell you what: there's a lot of garbage out there that's just not art at all. And somebody would be <laughs> like, "Well, art's the in the eye of the beholder, bro. Fine, <laughs> you can go enjoy your pudgy penguin or whatever." Well, let me ask this though, real quick. They. Uh... I mean, Bitcoin has kind of rocketed in the last couple of days, I happen to see. And is that is that good or bad for it if it's actually like people bugging out of Russian, uh, you know, is this like a way to skirt the system? And is this like a proof of Bitcoin being valuable or actually like the beginning of the problem that now, of course, they're going to be regulatory crackdowns because they're not going to let Russian oligarchs you know, slip out the back door in the Bitcoin? I don't know. Can you can you uh, regulate it? I guess we'll all find out. <laughs> that wasn't much of an answer. <laughs> Bitcoin's Bitcoin. Like the volatility is real, right? So there's the volatility is truth. I think the the the, the fact that currency is on a be, t-shirt. <laughs> yeah, I, I like peace. Chris Cole just walks around with it. Volatility. Well, actually, yeah, that's. I was not actually thinking of Cole when I said that. There's another trader who I know, Pete Earl, who he, he used to say volatility is truth in relation to Bitcoin. It was like, but I think that there's a huge speculative element in it too. So that, that kind of makes it a little bit more difficult to, to figure out what's going on. But not that there isn't a huge speculative element in other currencies. I don't know how, it, I don't know how you figure it all out. But you would think that, that it makes sense that Bitcoin should rally where there's global instability of the kind that people need to get their assets at. But the, the, the thing that makes me a little bit skeptical of it at the moment is the fact that it trades like tech. And when it stops trading like tech and starts trading more like gold, yeah, the instrument that it's supposed to, supposed to be, then it probably becomes, maybe it's just too early and it's kind of Can't find in its that. life. Yeah, yeah. It's still got that so much speculation. And when that takes off and it goes back to being, or it goes to being more of a gold like thing inflation hedge, then, then it gets more interesting. But that's time, amigos. We're a little bit over time. All right. This was fun. I have nothing to add. <laughs>